In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Jack, and we're here with a very special guest. One of our favourite guests that we save for special occasions. And that guest is the one, the only, Pete Smith. Pete, how are you? I'm good. Uh, the, the, the returning champion, evidently. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to have that title. <laughs> Excellent. How's it all going, Pete? You all right? Oh, yeah, living the dream over here. Well, the, the well, I mean, I should thing... say it's, a, it's a melancholy day, I suppose. A little bit of up, up and down, given that, you know, we lose Andrew Barry to the Eagles, but at the same time, we did get some good news in, in, in signing Greg Robinson. So, yeah, it's a little mixed. Excellent. And I've got to ask you one question. Landry made the Pro Bowl. How do you feel about that? Uh, I think it, I think the Pro Bowl, if it wasn't a sham before, it is now. Uh, he, you know, people can tell me because this is what's going to happen. He's this is going to be used in the case for Jarvis Landry to be in the Hall of Fame. That's what makes this insane. There's no person on earth who's going to tell you that, you know, Jarvis Landry is a, a Hall of Fame caliber player. You know, he wasn't even. There were p- players in the division who were better than Jarvis Landry receiver this year, most notably. Uh, Tyler Boyd of Cincinnati, who had an outstanding year and got no recognition, uh, but he was just simply better. So, you know, I, 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 I love what this has become with Jarvis Landry. I'm, I'm game for it. I, you know, I hope he goes out there and has a 1,500-yard season, and, and maybe there's an offense where we can throw the ball 300 times to him so he can get there. Excellent. Well, look, Jack, I'm outnumbered here. I'm 2-1 uh, against uh, Landry. Well, you say 2-1. Jarvis Landry was about the 21st replacement for wide receivers in the uh, conference. So it just became a shambles of when players are ranked. The, the best way, if you want to know who's going to win the Pro Bowl, just look at anyone average or slightly better production that year and then rank them in Twitter followers because the farce that it became of whoever gets the most retweets gets in there. Brendan Colquitt missed out, not because he weren't a great punter, because he had less, he didn't even have a Twitter account. And just absolute shambles and a joke. So if you make the PFF um, all-pro team, the rookie of the year, stuff like that, it's great stuff. Anything else, it don't matter. Excellent. Well, anyway, this is not a Landry show. It's all about Greg Robinson today. So, Pete, how do you feel about that? Good news. I mean, I'm a little surprised that, you know, they did it as a one-year deal, but, you know, I I honestly, I think Greg Robinson more than anybody is protecting his own interests. Uh, We haven't seen a a dollar figure, but I expect there'll be a pretty decent amount of money. But I I do think that in, in a lot of ways, he's betting on himself that if he has a great year, he's looking at guys like Nate Solder and some of these other players, uh, Nate Solder, who's not a great offensive tackle, who's getting paid, you know, upwards of $15 million a year. I think Greg Robinson, you know, and his agent 
understand first and foremost that Baker Mayfield is a very special quarterback and he makes Greg Robinson look like a substantially better player than maybe Greg Robinson is. But at the same time, and, and Greg Robinson deserves a, a, a ton of credit for the work he's put in. Um, you know, he, he's got worked with uh, offensive line performance, the, the group headed by Latrell's Bentley, who that does nothing but offensive line. And he's genuinely improved, uh, you know, hopefully with another year and, and a new offensive line coach in James Campen, he can take it to another level. But, you know, the, he did the job that he was asked to do. It was a revelation when they took Desmond Bryant, uh, Desmond Harrison off the field and put and put uh, Robinson in there. He's enormous. He's physically gifted. It's just a question of consistency with him. And if he has a great year, uh, then he's going to be a free agent again and potentially be in, in, in up for a huge payday in a league that just does not have enough enough offensive linemen to go around. It's a, uh, crazy why it's only a one-year deal. I'm surprised we didn't do it time up for more. Jack, any views on that? I think it's, it's a statement from both sides. I think he's looking at it um, and... Once we know we get that figure, if it's in the five six million range, then he's probably had a sniff around, and there wasn't that much interest in him straight away. So he thought, right, I'll come back, take that nicer, slightly cheaper deal, cash in next year. As as Pete said, it's crazy money what Nate Solder got when he weren't at that great production level. And we've got to remember, the number might have looked good with QB hits and sacks and stuff. But he was PFF's 63rd rated tackle last year. So it was not good production. Um, there was a lot of great scheme work to cover up his deficiencies and other stuff. So it's the balance of what he produced. So if he can have one great whole season, then he's going to go out there and fly. So, um, And I think it, we might also find out that there wasn't the confidence from the Brown side to go, this is our left tackle for the next three years. We don't view him that way. So they've left the door open that they could happily grab a tackle at 17 if that's what they think gets them the most value at that pick. So this is no long-term deal. Um, he, he, he might not even be around that long, but it's probably going to be high in guarantees, one-year deal, and he might be gone by the end of this season. And if we play free agency right, you're probably going to get a third-round pick if he goes out and gets top tackle money in a year's time. Hey, what do you think he's going to uh, cost for a one one year deal? What number are you putting on it? I'm guessing it's somewhere around six or seven million. It's just uh, the first they have the money to throw around. They, I mean, they can use when it comes to a one or two year deal. You can the Browns are in a position where they can use their 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 cap room like a weapon. And and I, and if they're smart, I think they should. If that in that scenario, you know, they can basically. and be attractive enough to get him solid enough. I mean, if, if, if nothing, look, I mean, Greg Robinson, obviously, you know, was a number two overall pick. He had that rookie deal. Uh, but look, it, it's, you know, money now. It's, you know, if, if it's six or seven million, it's money he's going to get, you know, as opposed to, you know, waiting, maybe not getting as much on the, on the open market or maybe getting, you know, money that's deferred or whatever. He's getting paid, and the opportunity—he'd be getting paid in that scenario, and then he has the opportunity to obviously capitalize and make more money. It's—it's it's really all in his court, and hopefully, you know, this is one of the situations where you hope for the best for him that he doesn't have some, you know, a, an injury that would take him down and ruin that uh, on a one-year deal. But it's a great opportunity for him. It gives the Browns a ton of flexibility. 
um, you know, this the best case scenario for this is is that we are mad at the Browns that they didn't sign him to a longer tier deal initially because he's that great. Uh, the worst case scenario, obviously, is you know they give him money, he goes out and gets hurt, or he's just not very good. You know, we hope that he's going to be so great that we're mad he didn't get signed longer. Yeah, I've I've said numbers wise. I think it will be more than um, Hubbard's deal. So Hubbard's 7.3. I think we're looking in the at least 7.5, maybe 8.5. But it all gets a bit thrown out of whack with one-year deals because you, you see some one-year deals, you're expecting it in a certain number, and then lo and behold, it changes completely. So who knows? Um, you might have gone, actually, we're going to take a £2 million pay cut of what we might get as a multi-year deal. But I'm confident I'm going to go hit potentially up to 15 million next year so he might have just taken it as a gamble on himself and gone let's take slightly less money stay here because freddie kitchens mate uh, with baker mayfield makes me look awesome rather than looking below average um because it's fooled many people there's so many browns fans out there talking about him as a great tackle oh here's his sack numbers he's got to have been good it's not just about sack numbers excellent and uh, other exciting news today is uh, Andrew Berry. It's not exciting. It's deeply sad. And it's, it hurts. A lot, of, a lot of people said online, though, um, he hit a glass ceiling underneath Dorsey. Do you think that's fair, Pete? Very well could be. I mean, obviously, when Dorsey came in, he brought uh, Elliot Wolf with him. Uh, you know, and, and at the time, there were people talking about, you know, before they had announced titles and stuff that there was uh, they had played out this scenario where Dorsey was going to be like the president and, and Elliot Wolf was going to be the actual general manager. Uh, it worked out that he was the assistant GM and obviously uh, they've got uh, Hightower, uh, Highsmith, Alonzo Highsmith under him, but they've got other people in there. I mean, I thought it was a coup for the Browns to keep Andrew Berry the last year. Uh, and I think they got the most out of it. Um, obviously he, he was involved in the Baker Mayfield selection. He was involved in hiring Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. Uh, his fingerprints are all over this team and it's disappointing. You know, I think he's a star. I, I think he's a, 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 a very, very good, uh, front office guy, but I also look at it as he's, you know, in terms of feet on the ground, you know, poking and prodding prospects and actually informing, you know, and, and helping make the decision. He's the one connecting thread from the Sashi Brown regime over to John Dorsey's regime. He's been, he, he was the guy who was, you know, every day in there working to connect those things and make everything work. I mean, certainly everybody's going to talk about Paul DePodesta and, and Ken Kovash and the analytics people who have been there the entire time and will continue to go. But they don't do the same type of thing. It, it's it's Andrew Barry is the one guy who was there. Other than I'm sure there were some scouts that carried over. The main guy who was a point person, actually making roster decisions and and helping input on the actual football decisions that was there from where this team started. You know, with Sashi and and going, you know, one and thirty one to where it's now where we're talking about they should be, you know, not only should they make the playoffs, but they should be a real contender for the division. So on that point, it's disappointing. I mean, you don't want to lose great people. The other side of that is 
when is the last time the Browns were thought of well enough that somebody was taking, you know, their employees, particularly a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, who are not far removed from a Super Bowl, uh, you know, that's looked at as one of the best organizations in the league, actually saying, sending the message that, look, the Browns have legitimate people in their front office and all this, and we value them enough to, to hire them out. And, you know, according to reports, you know, it, it, he's had people, you know, feeling around trying to get him out of Cleveland before, and it took apparently the Eagles to end this title to get him out. So, you know, I, I think as, as disappointing as it is to lose Andrew Barry and, and I, you know, famously went Chris Farley show on him when I had a chance to meet him. Uh, it does suggest that the Browns are, you know, a, a substantially better organization that they're now in a position where people are saying, we've got to get, we've got to take what the Browns are doing and add it to our front office. So melancholy situation, but there's a little bit of a hopes it, hope deal for me the big surprise was timing of the year because you regularly see all these um front office moves sort of may go crazy everyone's switching around in sort of may after the sort of the draft and stuff like that um it just felt weird for it to happen at this point um almost like they were it wasn't like we're going to keep hold of you look sign the deal we're happy for you to start at that point it just felt like an odd time of the years. We're on the cusp of this is when the front offices should be at their most busy. And suddenly you've got a very talented individual happily allowed to walk out the door. Yeah, that, that, that genuinely strange February 25th, a lot going on. I mean, free agencies, you know, less than two weeks away. It's, you know, I don't know how you can, you know, pretend this guy's not going to take everything he knows, walk into the Eagles headquarters and basically be able to, you know, with you know with there's still a couple months but with relative certainty basically saying the Browns are doing this 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 and this that that is weird you know I'd love to know a little bit more about how that worked you would think this would be something that would happen in May so that part is unusual you know and and there's some questions to be asked when I said there was exciting news it was more to the fact with it's been so quiet over the last week so it's great to have some news but um, speaking to Zane even last week he spoke so highly of uh, Andrew Berry in the organization and as one of his genuine friends within in the building so uh, yeah there's, there's quite a lot of, um, I think coach Williams as well um, Blake Williams also spoke highly of him as well so uh, a lot of people that used to work at the Browns speak very highly of him yeah uh, and he was look obviously he was heavily invested in analytics but he was also a guy who played uh, in the Ivy League. I mean, he's a Harvard guy. He played, you know, that. So he sort of had that credibility from both angles. You know, he had a foot in both camps that he, you know, could take the analytic stuff and apply it to get good football players uh, and helping with that to, you know, getting, you know, Miles Garrett and those type of guys and Larry Ogunjobi and, and Joe Schobert, all these guys that are, have become, you know, formed the spine of the franchise, uh, you know, and, and, and being able to play the value game and those things. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very nice down to earth guy, uh, super young still uh, has, you know, decades of career in front of him. If he wants it, it's a question of, you know, where, where is he ultimately going to land where he, where it finally becomes his show and, and, and what is that going to look like? But I, I think he 
was great for the Browns. And I think he'll be great for the Eagles, and I think he'll be great for whoever ultimately makes that plunge uh, with him as a full-on general manager. So the other um, thing we want to touch on today is you did an article, um, I, I want to say today, yesterday, it's, it, it all days blur into each other at this time of the year. So um, there was an article about Tyler Eifert, potential Browns target. Tell people about it. So, you know, obviously the Browns last year, they, they took some low risk, uh, former first round picks signing Greg Robinson before the season, obviously they've now, you know, re-upped with that uh, to indicate that they, they, they believe that was a successful get. And then they added Brashad Perryman partway through the season and, and, and they may re-sign him ultimately as well. So, you know, a popular topic that's bandied about is, you know, who's the guy that the Browns are going to try to get that, that fits in this mold. And, and there are people who've thrown out the idea of Kevin White, of the bears who is a former first round pick uh, wide receiver out of West Virginia, who's had a number of injuries. So, you know, Tyler Eifert is going to be an unrestricted free agent. He was a first round pick of the Bengals. He's been there six years. Unfortunately, he hasn't even played half of them because he's just had a run of, of un- injuries, uh, you know, with, between a, a shoulder surgery that he had to have and a couple broken ankles most recently this past year. But you know, when he's on the field, he's really good. So it sort of fits in line with the idea that if the Browns want to take another former first-round pick that has has shown the talent, whereas Greg Robinson and Brashad Perryman were far more inconsistent and unproven, that they could probably get on a on a one-year deal, uh, you know, low cost, low risk, high high reward potentially as a weapon. Uh, Tyler Effort fits that mold, and this is not a commentary on David Njoku by any stretch. If anything, I'm looking at it as David Njoku and a healthy Tyler Eifert on the field at the same time is a really difficult thing to uh, defend. Uh, Tight ends in the NFL are a tremendous investment in addition to what they do to defenses. Uh, You know, it's, it's one of those things where, to me, your goal should be always trying to get four tight ends who can help you. And and the Browns have Njoku who really came on the last part of last year, especially that last month. Darren Fells, who's a really nice role player, a blocker and, and super efficient receiver uh, with his 10 receptions and three touchdowns that, this past year uh, that, you know, y- you have flexibility to try to add something else, whether it's retaining Seth Devolve or adding another weapon, or it's a guy like Tyler Eifert. And, you know, as much as I'd like to go after a guy like Tyler Everett, I think you have to take the same approach as you did with Perryman and Robinson, and that you're not saying this is the answer. You're saying this is an option. He could potentially help us. You're not banking on him to be successful. You're saying whatever he gives us is sort of an added bonus that could really help help a team that's trying to make a push for the playoffs. So, you know, I know it, as unlikely as is it, as it is to happen, if you're at 17th pick and TJ Hawkinson is sitting there, which is my dream right now, other than Ed Oliver, I would not say that signing Tyler Eifert would stop you at all from, from drafting TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa. Uh, everything about this addition would be potential bonus. Uh, he can do all the things that Njoku can do. He can be an inline guy. He can play in space. He can line up wide. He can do the jump ball thing. And he's been a really efficient player on the field, you know, you're basically saying as the Browns that maybe hopefully that he can stay healthy enough uh, to contribute for a year. And if, you know, if he does great, if not, you know, you took your shot and, and hopefully you can 
you know, get something else, but it just, uh, it's the same mold as those other, other signings. So it could be an option for Dorsey and company to say, let's, let's take another shot on him. I've just seen the Daniel Jemaya's uh, draft and that he's saying that um, Hockenden's going on the, the fifth pick. So I doubt he's going to be running a seventh, 17th. Yeah. Der- Daniel Jeremiah is a dream smasher. Um, so that's, you know, that's how that tends to work. I, you know, he's a great, great player. It wouldn't surprise me. My, the, the scenario. Or Hawkinson to make it to the Browns would be have a, a, a guy. He's the guy that sort of finishes second in whatever decision they're making, whether they're a team that needs a quarterback, their team that makes needs a tackle, their team that needs something else they have to have and they're going to forego this option, and he keeps slipping. Uh, you know, is that a likely scenario? Probably not. But, you know, just just the way that thing can sort of happen. Yeah, but if you remember at this sort of stage two years ago, you had um, O.J. Howard was in the talks of going that high and then slips a bit, slips a bit, slips a bit, and suddenly is available lower. So it wouldn't surprise me. The, the thing that I liked when you wrote the Tyler Eifert article is I'd looked at that and gone, oh, he's going to be a Patriot. He's going to be a Patriot. It's a Patriot move. And hopefully we start seeing the Browns making Patriot style moves of going, Let, let's take this guy that, that either hasn't worked out elsewhere or something's gone wrong and then go, right, we don't need them to be a starter. It's a very low risk thing. If you put, oh, we're going to say four or five million. Um, if it doesn't come together, it's a one year deal. So be it. But um, just take them sort of punts on people. And when you're sort of drafting players and even sort of your first round pick, you're not going, this guy needs to start week one. Go and battle for a roster spot. Um, it's really, really good position to be in. And that's how the best teams stay the best teams because they're constantly reloading and restocking rosters and getting reformation projects, getting players that can't do certain things in their skill game on cheaper deals. It's, it's what them fantastic rosters are built up like. So um, first, yeah, obviously having Baker Mayfield is a huge selling point, uh, as, as Tom Brady would be. That makes, you know, the, 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 the sell, sell job a little easier. The other part of that is obviously you, you can talk to Tyler Eifert and his agent. Basically, you'll look what happened with Brashad Perryman. He comes in here and he's doing, he, you know, he had a great, you know, end of the season stretch, you made a bunch of big plays for us. You know, you can sort of see uh, where this works. Uh, the other part of this, is, and I think Greg Robinson's a, a great example. You, obviously the draft picks and the big free agent signings, those are things you have to have work. Um, you had to make Baker Mayfield, that had to work. Nick Chubb had to work. You, you have these assets that, you know, are, are premium assets that, that you, you, you get handed uh, by the NFL, the, the, you know, the, you have to make those work. Whereas a player like Greg Robinson or a player like Prashad Perryman, or in this case, a guy like Tyler Eifert, it's like a bonus where it moves you up a little bit. So like, you know, in a world where they don't have Greg Robinson, they, they you know, they don't win the, as many games as they do because they're probably still rolling Desmond Harrison out there. And he's, you know, Baker Mayfield may or may not be dead at this point. Um, but what it does is now, let's say you get, Tyler Eifert in the fold and he contributes. Maybe that's worth another game, uh, another win in the season, or maybe it's worth a, a win in the playoffs. And those, those, the, the working on the fringes, those type of things. And, and they don't get 
maybe as, as, as celebrated as much as like, as, as picking Baker Mayfield or, or making a trade for Demarius Randall. Those are home run, you know, knock it out of the park type moves. But these are the, those little moves that move you just a little bit further or, or stretch out your potential or make you that much, just a little bit more dangerous. Uh, and, and those moves that working on the fringes, you know, you mentioned the Patriots, you know, that's part of why they have been so dominant is they, they capitalize on those type of things. They, they make those, they make those fringe moves that give them just a little bit. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a featured player. It could be a guy who's just great for, you know, a couple games like Philip Dorsett is not a mainstay player on that team, but he, you know, he's had a couple games over various seasons where he's, he's come up big and, and made them plays and extended their, their, their playoff lives or whatever that, you know, that's what you're hoping for with a guy like Tyler Eifert and, and the Browns are in position to now attract these type of guys and be a destination for these type of guys. And hopefully, you know, and I don't know if it'll be Tyler Eifert, but I expect at some point, there's going to be another guy that fits this mold or maybe a couple guys. Uh, and, and obviously the roster spots are becoming a little more fleeting from that standpoint, but they do have some opportunities. And I think tight end could be a good one. Uh, you know, defensive line, those type of things are areas where you can, you can get a, a guy or, you know, I know, you know, Jack is very big on a guy like Ronald Darby could be in that type of mix where he's coming off an injury and you could, you know, get him on maybe a cheap, short-term deal or a prove-it deal or whatever, where he comes in, reestablishes value, gives you, you know, some nice contributions and then goes on for a bigger contract. Like I, there's no shame in being that team that sort of lets these, these guys reestablish your value. It's a win-win situation for both sides. Yeah. Keep them uh, Perryman and Robinson style players coming through the doors and we'll keep uh, boosting their value. Yeah, there's uh, it's win-win because at the end of the day, if if that guy comes in, does well, and then he he exceeds expectations, suddenly you don't want to pay that money. Then boom, someone else pays that money, and that's how you see all these teams cashing in year on year on year with all these fantastic um, comp picks because they've just allowed good players to move because they resupplement them with even more good players. So um, no, if you can get sort of freebies that turn out to be great for your team then fantastic and keep reinvesting but thank you so much for coming on pete plug yourself if anyone's not following you on twitter and they're mad anyway but um let everyone know where to find you if they're not uh you can find me at underscore pete smith underscore uh nfl spin zone writing about the browns uh you know that eifert article is today there's one more that should be coming out today about some mountain west tight ends to watch uh, but as always, I appreciate the support from you guys. Certainly, uh, Jack has been an enthusiastic supporter for a long time who, who may or may not have dragged Paul Brown kicking and screaming into this venture. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, the full-throated support is great. And obviously, Jack, congratulations on, on, on getting published, uh, Football Outsiders. I know that's a big, you know, you know, a, a nice little feather in your cap and, and something I know you're excited about. So I'm thrilled for you on that end. Thank you very much. No, it was uh, it was really good. And uh, Jack, you launched a tweet today with the breakdown of all the uh, free agents and the PFF grades. That yeah. was quite an interesting clip. 
so if you jump over to my Twitter, I've done two different ones. They're all the free agents that are available based on PFF rank by position and their age. And then I've done a secondary one because I am a pure ageist when it comes to um, free agency. I am an absolute snob and I don't care. Um, if you're older than 28.0, I'm not interested ideally. So tough luck guys um so the second one is just unrestricted free agents aged under 28.0 and uh if if that's 28.0 exactly yeah you cut from the list so uh it, it was brutal but uh hey uh, welcome to my analytics revolution <laughs> as as long as we can convince you that signing baker mayfield to a, a nice contract extension is the smart play and you get off the idea of baker mayfield for five years and then we'll move on and get somebody <laughs> we'll be fine it all depends what level of play is if it's a level of play that is competing with brady and breeze with rogers which i genuinely believe he he has the potential to get there then i'm all for extending him if it ends up like you see many of these sort of in that top eight top ten in the league and they're, they're at the bottom end of that they get deals that are just as big as breezes rogers and then suddenly they can't produce that level so if if he if he's top five in the league he, I, he's having that extension as long as it's not over 13 percent. hey pete <laughs> pete do you think we can afford to uh extend miles garrett and baker oh yeah absolutely it's just a question of it's going to be a question of everybody else like you know everybody loves to throw out you know the browns have this much cap room and you know i i try to point out to people it's largely an illusion because that there are certain things you can do and certainly you can front load contracts and and have them taper off but realistically like a lot of that cap room is spoken for and people don't want to admit it and it's not just miles garrett and baker mayfield it's guys like larry Ogunjobi and joe Schobert, which come up pretty quickly you want to pay those guys like you want those guys to be on your team for a long time and i think john dorsey at least says the right things and recognizing that when he's talking about, he doesn't want to spend like a drunken sailor and you, you know, uh, Doug Maurice, for example, wants him to, uh, wants him to spend like a slightly a buzzed sailor, a slightly inebriated sailor. Uh, you know, I think, I think hopefully Dorsey's sort of understanding that this is what's going to come up and you're going to, you know, the, the price of hitting on so many picks in a short period of time between the two regimes, you're going to have to pay all these guys at once. Uh, which is a good problem to have and certainly one that's welcome that we haven't seen in a while. But, you know, you're not going to be able to just throw money at guys and, and hope for the best, which is why, you know, I, you know, I don't think free agents could be is super exciting. I think it's going to be more in the value play type moves, which I'm perfectly fine with. I'm not saying, you know, if Trey Flowers somehow comes up and, and, and Jack Duffin's dream comes true and they can get him. I mean, I'm all for it. It, but I, I, you know, those opportunities are few and far between, and you don't want to have, you know, using him as, as, as an example, you do not want to have multiple Jarvis Landry contracts. Those are the, those are cap killers. Those are what will come back to haunt you. Uh, so yeah, they can do it. They've got to be smart about it. And hopefully, you know, and, and that's another small move that sort of happened is, you know, the Browns lost their quote unquote salary cap guy to the University of Cincinnati. Um, they've got to be smart about you know, keeping those guys on. And I, I know Jack has put in his application and, and certainly will hope to hope he, he gets a call on that. But uh, yeah, they've, they've got to be smart. 
Now I've I've done a piece and when I eventually find somewhere to publish it Browns wise um it's potentially 26% of the NFL salary cap could be tied up in just Baker and Miles Garrett and if that level is reached and they perform to earn them levels of contracts that could have a massive impact on our roster if salary cap management over the next four years isn't done smartly to prepare for that so uh no fingers crossed i'll be able to find some way to do it but uh looking at any other team that has even got near to that level there's three teams in recent history that have done it for one single season we'd be the first team to go and do it over a four-year window so it'd be an incredibly high number um most are looking at around 21%. So it's a big increase. So uh, fingers crossed, I'll find somewhere to run it. And uh, you guys will be able to read all about it. But uh, there is some scary potential stuff. If you start drafting lots of players that turn out to be very, very, very good, it's tough to keep them all. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for Pete coming on, Pete. And um, no doubt, we're going to try sneak him in just before the draft as well. So uh, Pete, We'll sort it out and get you back on another time very soon. I'm always happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Pete. And we've got finishing up the position rooms this week. And we got the uh, Swiss president of the Browns backers on later this week. So lots and lots of good shows this week. And Gordon McGuinness from um, PFF is swinging by as a Ravens fan to make us all a little bit more intelligent and uh, tell us some dirty little secrets about the Ravens that we can uh, use to beat them.